everyone, welcome back to another episode of Self Made with Ife A. I am back yet again with another special guest. Why don't you introduce yourself for the people that don't know you? Sure. So, pleasure to be here. So excited to share this virtual space with you. My name is Gwena Kadima. My pronouns are she and her. And I run my own business as a BIPOC career activator and diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant based in Toronto, Canada. Amazing. And fun fact, guys, uh, Gwena, Gwena was actually a colleague, a previous colleague of mine. Um, and literally, like, my, I want to say my first friend, big sister, whatever you want to call it. And um, when I thought of this podcast, I I knew I had to have you on, not like just before you even left, but just to tell your story. And I'm not going to like take over and everything, but yeah. So, Gwena, you mentioned that um, you're a BIPOC uh, career activator as well as like a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant, aka DEI. Do you want to kind of talk to us about how you got into BIPOC? Activator. I know that was the first part of your business. And then we'll touch on the other part later on. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for dropping the acronym because I refuse to say the full phrase diversity, equity, yeah. and inclusion. Again, it is such a mouthful. But yeah, so my work as a BIPOC career activator, I started that about two years ago. And the majority of my work is really in partnering with post-secondaries, nonprofits, and other organizations to bring more culturally relevant and intersectionally minded career development services to their audiences. And really this work started as a reflection on two things. One, um, well back then you and I were both with the same employer and I recognized that I truly had nothing else to keep me busy aside from the work that I was doing um, where we were both working. Can I say where we were? Is that open? Yeah, sure. You might as well. It's fine. All right. So back when we were at Accenture. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really recognized like then it was February of 2021. I had just a couple of months prior moved back in with family due to the pandemic. and. Back in my hometown of Edmonton, there really was not a lot to do in the middle of winter. And so I realized that there were so many special projects and initiatives and extra things coming up in my work at Accenture that I just kept saying yes to. Because I'm like, oh, if I don't do this, then I'm just going to be like hanging out with my dad and playing Monopoly Deal again or like <laughs> eating more fufu and Congolese food like 24-7. So really recognized that I needed something that would balance my time and essentially give me a reason to focus my efforts and sort of have an impact outside of the work I was doing in my day job. Mm -hmm. So it really started as a way for me to take a lot of the things that I had learned through my day-to-day -day work and really um, focus on a topic that was so critical to me because I went to school in Edmonton. I was consistently one of few, if not the only black people in a lot of the spaces I was in both academically and professionally and constantly had this feeling that although there were supports available that they just didn't understand the nuance or they weren't catered to folks that looked like us. So 
Doing this work was really an opportunity to, one, have that representation for post-secondary and secondary students to say, you can be in tech, you can be in professional services, you can move across the country or move from wherever and get a job in Toronto and in those big cities. And to also make sure that the conversation was mindful of a lot of the things that are relevant to our cultures of coming from often very collectivist societies, being the children of immigrants or immigrants ourselves and navigating spaces where we don't always have the support in the room already. And really recognizing some of those things that might feel uncomfortable because of our upbringings around sort of self-advocacy or networking or looking at how we advocate for ourselves in the workplace. So it was really an opportunity to one, get me away from constantly spiraling in my day job and two, really have an impact in communities that felt relevant to me and were similar to my lived experience. Mm. I like that word impact. You use it a lot when describing why you wanted to go out and do it. And I can speak for myself. You had such a huge impact on me and my journey at Accenture and just my journey, I guess, in the workplace, because I don't think I realized the importance of like black voices and being an advocate, but you just creating that space and and you allowing uh, people to know that, yes, this is very important. I think um, it allows people to kind of reach out and be like, yeah, this is a service we actually kind of need, you know? And it drives that importance up and people like our color or people of color, people black or people of color can see us and be like, you know what, if Gwena or Aoife can do it, then so can I. So I, I definitely love that aspect of your story. Um, okay, so I was thinking, um, you talked about where we, you work as a consultant, which is Accenture, um, and now you're self-employed, you have your own business. Talk to me about that, the differences between both of them. Um, uh, why did you decide, because you kind of, you said you wanted, you didn't want to spiral in your day job, that's why you kind of started being a BIPOC career activator. What made you decide to kind of take that on full time as a DEI consultant? And as well, like, what are the differences that you saw in both working for a Fortune 500? Because it's no small joke, right? Um, Versus working by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because the work that I started as a BIPOC career activator, Mm -hmm. truly, like this was just supposed to be a side hustle to keep me busy, (laughs) like every once in a while and keep me from getting bored in the pandemic. And so what I wasn't anticipating was the amount of needs that there were for services like what I was offering. And even just something as simple as bringing together all of the BIPOC or Black students at the time virtually into a single space to talk about their professional futures and their aspirations and the challenges or some of the things that have been going well for them at that time. Really recognizing how powerful that was, it honestly snowballed a lot faster than I expected it to. And what tended to happen was in addition to sort of the BIPOC career activator work was that I was getting a lot of requests from clients who of course knew what my day job was and that Mm -hmm. within Accenture I was a part of our consulting group that focuses on employee experience and talent strategies and of course diversity equity and inclusion said it dang it DEI Um, (laughs) but really in that space they were starting to ask me about if I'd be able to offer services for them through my independent practice and if I do Mm -hmm 
consulting gigs on the side. And of course, with how all of these large organizations work, that is totally a no-no. It's so similar to our day jobs that of course it gets into conflict of interest territory. So I had quite a bit there, I'd say almost a year where I found that I was saying no to a lot of potential clients mm. in helping them with sort of that bigger picture around how they think about diversity, equity, and inclusion and how they really sort of um, build this strategy beyond a one-off or just a series of workshops or programs for their talent. Mm -hmm. And so what essentially ended up happening was that I realized after a while that consulting, of course, is not a regular nine to five. We are working significantly more than the average 40 hours per week. But I really hit a point where I realized that okay, this is becoming a lot. And the work that I was doing on the side, even just as a BIPOC career activator, felt quite self-sustaining. And recognizing that I had those folks that were interested in me offering more advisory or consulting style services, I decided to circle back with some of them and really have a frank conversation, something along the lines of, okay, so you talked about hypothetically doing some consulting work together. How serious were you about that? Because I am like a couple degrees of separation from quitting my job. If this is a thing, let's roll with it. And the uptake was much more than I expected. And I was really happy to recognize that these folks were essentially saying, Gwena, like, no, we're being completely serious. Like, we will do this. Mm -hmm. So lined up what ended up being a consistent client for me now and had the work essentially start about honestly the next business day if I'm being honest mm -hmm. after I left Accenture and really taking the advice of a mentor who said don't leave until you have the next thing lined up mm -hmm. I felt confident with this first piece that I'd be able to sort of build from there and that would give me enough runway to really take this full time and make it into something I love that so. I think sometimes when mm -hmm. people struggle with this that um taking the leap and I think like you were already kind of maybe one step out the door and it seemed like this is something you were passionate about. But I think when people were, when you turned that hypothetical into like, no, like an actual, it, it allowed you to like push you out of the door in a more like concise way, you know? Um, but I was going to say, did you mm -hmm. ever, did you ever have that imposter syndrome of what if, like, you know, like maybe potentially going back and I know it's still very new, but just like I know I had imposter syndrome just starting at Accenture so I can't imagine like you like with your like a brand new this is your baby you know so how did you feel about that if you ever felt anything yeah along those lines? yeah absolutely no I, I did trust me and I do consistently um and for me I really try to reframe it uh one of my good friends who runs an organization called Accelerate Her Future mm -hmm. that focuses on black indigenous and women of color's advancement in Canada um, she really focuses on reframing it from imposter syndrome to imposter thoughts wow. and this idea that it's not a matter of like this illness or this sickness that we have, that these are thoughts that have been embedded and cultivated in us because of systemic barriers and because of these sort of things that show to us that women or people of color or other marginalized folks shouldn't be in these spaces although we have every right mm. to and so I promise I will come back to your question about sort of the differences between independent and being a fortune 500 but absolutely like 
for me, it was quite, I guess in the grand scheme of things, a relatively slow process. Like I was thinking on this for over a year and really started to have those discussions, I'd say maybe eight, nine months out. Mm -hmm. And it's very different than, I think a lot of the sort of romanticized story of just like, one day I just quit my job and I bootstrapped and I figured it out. Like for me, no, it was something I wanted to be really intentional about and mm -hmm. made sure that one, I was getting all the experiences that I wanted to from Accenture before I left. Um, and there were a couple of things on that bucket list, but also too, that I had the foundation for my business from sort of a process and administrative side, but also a really strong understanding of what I offer and why me doing it and me delivering it is so valuable, like my independent value proposition, so that it felt like a much more confident thing to be able to jump into. But all of that being said, honestly, with essentially every single client or every single workshop or sales discussion, I do have those little thoughts of like, oh, they have made a horrible mistake by picking me. Like, what is going on here? Why, why are we all doing this to ourselves? This is a horrible idea. But really grounding myself in the things that I, because I've been in the space for so long, like ever since I was in school, I've been studying and really academically driven in DEI, reminding myself that the things that feel really intuitive and really simple to me are actually my area of expertise. And if somebody were to come to me and be like, oh, how do you execute a um, BIPOC post-secondary mentorship program? That's amazing. To me, I'm like, oh, it's this, 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 and this. Like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. It's the easiest thing in the world. So really grounding myself in the things that I see as so intuitive and simple because I've been in them for so long are actually such a value add and something that really distinguishes myself and that it brings that unique perspective that folks are reaching out to me for, for a reason. So I've been very much focusing on owning that, especially as I go through all of the newness that comes with running my own practice and building up my own business. I love that. And I, I can't wait for it to see where it goes next, because I know we we're talking about like that, I think actually a couple of days ago, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Gwen and I sometimes have like those one on one chats. So I'm like very, very interested in like her business and where she's going. So not just like for the podcast, but just like me as a person, just like trying to get to know where you're at individually. But no, that's so cool. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I know going back to the whole like difference between Fortune 500 and self-employed, um, you already talked about like your journey and how you got there. Did you want to touch a little bit about like the motivation and like just, I know we touched on it actually outside the podcast, but I think it's something some people should hear, but like the motivation to work working for a company versus working for yourself. Did you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, of course. And I mean, like anything we say, happy to repeat it for you <laughs> and for the listeners. So, cause I know we talk a lot. That was one of the things that I was really intentional about with leaving my day job that 
I wanted to make sure that I held on to the amazing relationships that I built while I was at Accenture for four years. And so that was one of those things where I want to say it was like 2 a.m. the night before my last day and the day I have to give my laptop back and they never let me through the doors again. Mm. Well, dramatic. But that I was sending out calendar invites while I still had access to everybody's calendars for recurring meetings so that I wouldn't lose people because you know how it goes. It's the classic like, yeah. oh yeah, we'll talk, send me a message. Never. Never. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And kind of what we were touching on there was really this idea of how um, if you're doing the work for somebody else and it's somebody else who's sort of putting these expectations on you or setting sort of your goals and your incentive for doing it, it can feel very different than when you're in ownership and you are the individual deciding on sort of what's the purpose, what are we focusing on? If we execute, I'm the one accountable for it. I remember I saw a quote that was like, if somebody else is dictating your day and it goes into overtime, that's stress. Mm. But if you're the one dictating your day and it goes into overtime, that's passion. And so this idea of because there is so much more focus to what I'm doing, I went from literally, if they wanted to, 700,000 plus employees at Accenture being able to reach out to me at any point through a ping or a DM to really just being able to focus on my work and what I wanted to execute and what I wanted to grow. And so, although I'd say the hours that I work are quite similar, just in terms of the amount of time I spend in my business Mm -hmm. and the amount of time I spend thinking about my work, very similar to sort of what it was working prior, but it just feels very different. And there are things that I have a lot more of a motivation or drive to actually deliver on and build because it's so aligned to my values, even the administrative parts, right? Like I know exactly what it's going towards and I'm invested in what the outcome will be. So yeah, still working a lot, but it feels a lot (laughs) different and it's a nice change. Yeah, I was even telling uh, Ghana that like, it must feel nice to like, if you want to take a lunch break, you can like, just take like, and like how many so hours, or like just go on a vacation, or, I mean, depending on when your different deliverables are due and whatnot, without being like, do I have, do I have um, a certain amount of hours left, you know, but I think that's so cool. Um, <laughs> Uh, No, it's so different. And like just being able to spend that time how I want. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course, delivering and there's still sort of that stress when things are due, but not that worry about wiggling my mouse to make sure I'm showing is available or making sure I'm green on teams is a very nice feeling. But hey, we'll see how it goes. (laughs) I saw a TikTok about that and I was just like, I didn't even know people did that, like wiggle, like wiggle. Because I was just like, well, if you're working, it should show available, but like... I, I guess I guess not but I don't think managers actually stare at our status like I feel like it's just something yeah. that like we think they're doing but it's like as long as you're delivering the work it should be fine but yeah yeah I mean like in an ideal case they're not looking at it but sometimes there are the micromanagey folks but yeah no it's like all those things about constantly feeling like you need to be on mm. for somebody else mm-hmm. like usually not even the client or in terms of like if you're in a product-based business like delivering on your day-to-day but just sort of this facade of constantly being busy Mm -hmm. it's nice to have that feeling definitely alleviated and just be able to focus when the timing makes sense right Mm -hmm. no worries i just a quick second my i didn't realize my laptop was not charging so i'm going to quickly plug it in 
and you can call this an intermission. What set? Okay. Oh boy. Could you imagine if it just died and I was just like, oh, goodbye. <laughs> that was all. No, this is good. We're hydrating, we're charging, literally, we're good. Okay, it's all good. Um, okay, awesome. Um, so we've heard about your journey. You've heard about like um, uh, why you decided to branch out, as well as just like just everything you've talked about in terms of imposter syndrome and being motivated to work. Because I think that's something that I really took away from our conversation that we had um, in our one-on-one. So I really wanted to bring that to the listeners. Another thing I want to talk about is expectations. Did you have any expectations going in when you started working for Accenture? And did you have any expectations as well starting your business? Because I know those two could be very similar, but somewhat different did you want to touch on that a little bit Hmm. yeah and I um in terms of expectations like where specifically because I mean there were so many thoughts that went in my head prior to starting both of these things but let me know happy to focus on a certain area if it makes more sense yeah so it could be just in general because like for example for me personally starting at Accenture I was just like oh um I'm expect I'm my expectation would be like oh my gosh I'm going to meet so many people make so many friends mentors etc etc um get certified in in x y and z um those are just like some examples I know like for TNO it might be a little bit different but uh yeah something along those lines it could be super general too yeah, I think um, so. TNO being the talent, yeah, talent. Sorry, <laughs> that I was a part of. I feel like yeah. <laughs> it has. They have a lot of um, acronyms, and I'm I'm so used to just saying it. I'm like, right, I need to like spell it yeah. out. But yeah, talent and organization. Yeah, the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not expecting the number of acronyms and like the group think that we all kind of fall into mm-hmm. of like this is how you spend your day. This is how you end up like this is how you speak to people. Like I now realize that things like agile and blue sky thinking and like um all of these different sort of turns of phrase and all these things that we say as as consultants are so like deeply ingrained in the way that I communicate with people sometimes I'm like oh why did I just tell my like seven-year-old nephew that she needs to be more agile in her thinking (laughs) what is going on here but no for me I think so one of the expectations that I had in starting with Accenture, which was also like for context, really soon after I'd moved to Toronto because I graduated in spring and then ended up moving to Toronto basically as soon as my lease was done. This was back in 2018. And Mm -hmm. so I came September 2018 and started at Accenture in February 2019. And I was an off-cycle hire where I didn't go through the traditional okay start of your final year of school you're interviewing in september you find out your outcomes by october november for a job that starts anywhere from five to potentially 11 months later Mm. depending on what you choose for your start date so this was all really wrapped up in my understanding of what moving to toronto would be and frankly what working in a more diverse and a bigger city would look Mm. like so i remember i had this expectation that like diversity, equity, and inclusion would end up just being super intuitive. 
because coming from the prairies, a space that is very conservative leaning in a lot of ways, there is a very different sort of mentality and approach for a lot of the folks and sort of normalized ideas about inclusion and what diversity means versus Toronto. I really kind of saw moving to Ontario and being in what was then the most diverse city in the world as a moment where I feel like, oh, I'm never gonna have to deal with racism again. Like working in Toronto, working at a company like Accenture, which is like leads in this space and is very much shifting. Like I truly thought that those wouldn't be barriers for folks that look like us anymore. And so again, like Accenture is really leading in this space. So I know relative to a lot of peers, I had it quite easy, but there are still those challenges and those microaggressions and sort of, unfortunately, there's more blatant moments that we hear of with our peers or sometimes we personally experience. So for me, I was really expecting to kind of have it easy. And for all of the things that have really shaped my time on campus and growing up in a very white space to no longer be a thing, but Although they were better, they looked very different. Mm. And so thinking about kind of how this concept of DEI is addressed, it's something that I expected to be like groundbreaking and like through the roof in terms of leading mm. practice and just being in Toronto to feel different, which on a day-to-day basis it did, but there was a bit of a reality check moment where it's like, okay, we are still, in this space where our work experience is different. These spaces are not made for folks like us to advance or even to retain in a sustainable way. So that was one of the things that was really apparent to me, not just in starting, because I'm sure it would have happened anywhere that I started my career off, but specifically in Toronto, that was one of those expectations that seemed misaligned with reality. But hey, now we're working on it from the other side, right? <laughs> and I like that you put it that way. So basically, did you and your expectations as a self-employed was it the, the reverse then? Were you kind of trying to combat the expectations you had coming in um, to Toronto in DEI? Because I was like, I'm trying to remember what that was: diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, <laughs> was it? It was it kind of the reverse then? Were you expecting yourself to kind of fix that? Or yeah, for me it was, so I'm in this work to be able to make change Mm -hmm. in a lot of these spaces. And so even in the few months that I've been at this independent, though I've seen it for a while now as a BIPOC reactivator, that there are all of these varying degrees of maturity when it comes to this work. Mm -hmm. Like you still have the organizations who are like, I don't understand why this work is needed. I don't understand, like, why do we care about this topic? What's going on? all the way to Gwena, we are in year 15 of having committed strategies and initiatives related to DEI. We have all of the employee resource groups. We have reviewed all of our processes. We wanna take it to the next level. What does that look like? And so I think in terms of that original expectation, it's realizing that of course, due to 2020 and what happened with the murder of George Floyd and truly just horrific event after event for every single marginalized community happening that kind of caused this wake up, Mm -hmm. that really this work has so many more dimensions to it than I realized. And it's not just so simple of kind of 
coming to a city that even though it's diverse that everything's going to be already fixed and just by virtue of there being diverse faces and diverse lived experiences all together that everyone will feel included and that there will be an equitable outcome so i think really my understanding of what to expect in this work has shifted but i'd say that's more so a matter of sort of time and working in the space and understanding it more so than just being a fresh grad who really didn't understand the complexities of why these systems are this mm. way and really the work that has to be done to shift these massive institutions and doing this work and becoming more inclusive mm. and i'm glad you touched a little bit about like the murder of george floyd that happened in 2020 which leads me to my next point of the importance of of uh, creating a space for black people and people of color and to tie that into what you did um which was starting um pretty much like our first black erg oh sorry i'm i'm using acronyms again employee resource group um at accenture canada um i wanted to hear your take because again you talked about uh going to toronto you thinking okay because there're a lot of cultures a lot of diversity you thinking you're never going to experience racism but again with what happened in 2020 why was that so important for you to start uh which is bold black the black erg why was it important for you to start that you were one of the co-founders which i think is just so when i say impact when i had made such a huge impact at extension just wanted to put that plug there but why was that very so important for you to start that um space that community uh, at extension yeah absolutely and thank you i mean i am so glad that we started bold before things really hit the fan in 2020 mm-hmm. because i know that a lot of organizations kind of woke up to this idea of whoa anti-black racism and whoa like racism in general everyism in 2020 and so in us starting bold really understanding like that although if center had their african american ERG in the US since mid 1990s it's been around for a while wow. that there wasn't a space that really reflected the nuances of the black experience in Canada mm-hmm. our demographics are very different i have to check the updated 2021 census data that was just released but with 2016 um it's 4.5% of the population in Canada identified as black mm-hmm. whereas in the US the number is closer to 15%. Mm-hmm. And so even just from a total like absolute population perspective and even relatively speaking, you see a lot less black people around you. And for us there is such a diaspora represented of a lot of our population are first, second, third gen versus we know the history of slavery in the US. Of course there have been sort of those long time settler families that have been here in Canada, the black families for centuries now. But really when you see our makeup as a population, there isn't that same sort of unifying like African American, which I know is even outdated language now, community and sort of similar shared experience between the black communities there. And so for us really recognizing that there was this need for understanding the unique experiences for us this side of the border we really wanted to make sure that it was done in a way that 
reflected our specific needs mm. and went beyond just being a space for sort of commiserating and having community and at least knowing who the other black employees are like bold is an acronym it stands for black outreach learning and development and so really recognizing that our community and what we wanted for that employee resource group was to be more than just a safe space to gather of course that's the foundation but making sure that we're focusing on not only the recruitment, but also the retention and the advancement of Black talent within Accenture Canada, and also realizing that our organization, having such a focus on corporate citizenship and like, environmental, social, and governance, like ESG, and really those big sort of factors about the responsibility of an organization mm -hmm. beyond just their bottom line, that there's a lot that we could do to impact communities around us. And so, I remember being so happy that in the summer of 2020 that we already had Bold and that employees knew where to go and our leaders knew how to access Black talent and hear our perspective and make sure that we were represented in the many decisions and sort of the plans and programs that came as a result of what happened that summer. So really having that space during such a difficult time, having it already established was so, so amazing. But also really recognizing that things completely accelerated after that too. Like we grew pretty fast as an employee resource group back in 2019 when it was formed. But after the summer of 2020, we were just across the organization, constantly speaking, constantly increasing our members. Allies wanted to be involved. They wanted to understand what they could do in support of our communities. We were creating resource lists. We were getting involved in external events, internal speaking engagements, working with clients as well. Like there was so much work that accelerated and I'll say it again, I'm just so glad that we had that foundation, we had that community and we had that structure already set in place because my heart totally goes out to those organizations where black employees were one going through what was such a difficult time to just be black and be in corporate spaces but two not even know who that community could be around them and start to build that from scratch yeah i again another word that you used a lot was community and i think that's something that is just so important to myself and in included as well because when I first joined I think like I was just like uh I think I was the only I was just like ah, I want to meet like black people I want to meet Nigerian people like I was like yeah I just want to meet people and then I was directed to you um and that was like the best I'm very happy I voiced that out you know what I mean um but just that sense of community because it's just it is hard out here. Like you saying, like, just because you see diff diverse cultures does not mean racism is not prevalent. But I also think what happened in 2020 was sort of a wake up call because like everyone else saw it as, oh my gosh, this is happening. But it's like, we've been experiencing that for so many, many years. So I love how that you created that community, but also not just for black people, but for allies, because like you said, learning and development, people were able to learn about microaggressions, about the importance of just speaking up and not just being a bystander. Those are just little things that Gwen Academa um, and the Bold ERG did. So I just want to say thank you for that. Um, in addition to that, you talked about Black talent. 
you also started um, a student mentorship program, which again, guys, this is such a cool person right here. Um, and it was called the Bold Student Mentorship Program. They've been three cohorts now, I think, right? Um, and I... I was like, damn, if I, if I was in university, I wish I knew about this program, but can you tell us a little bit about what full student program is, AKA BSMP. So if we start using acronyms, don't, <laughs> don't shout at us, but yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, if you need to talk about like my favorite thing that I've literally done in my entire career. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the Bold Student Mentorship Program is a program that we started, again, catalyzed by the murder of George Floyd and so many other Black individuals that sort of became common awareness. Because to your point, so much of this was about the reality check that all of these things that happened to our communities, all of the trauma and all of the pain and all of our resilience through all of the terrible things that are going on and the barriers we face, it was so far removed from consciousness for non-black folks. Yeah. Like, I will answer your question, but this is just a whole thing. In that I felt so deeply frustrated by the number of non-black folks who came up to me and would constantly say, I had no idea this was happening. Oh my gosh, I had no clue. It's really this bad. And all of these moments where it's like, My communities have been going through trauma for so long now, and you didn't even know what was happening. Like this was so far removed from your day-to-day experience that we have these groups over here that are constantly going through this hardship and having to overcome and often overcoming and like being able to reach these spaces still somehow, yet there's another group, the more privileged side of whatever dimension of diversity you want to talk about that for the most part is completely oblivious. And so what ended up happening with the student mentorship program is that myself and a colleague, we were two folks on the executive team for Bold. Um, He was the chapter lead for our Calgary um, chapter of Bold. And we really recognized that because of sort of this gap in terms of understanding between folks within the Black community and folks outside of it who are just frankly trying to be good allies, that a lot of the workplace efforts were going towards engaging and supporting allies in their learning journeys. Mm. Because also, again, back to that earlier point of less than 5% of the population identifying as Black and knowing that us being in spaces like professional services or in tech that already have so many barriers for marginalized communities that if you're thinking about a comprehensive diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, that inevitably a lot of your work is around educating allies. And the vast majority of it is just bringing everybody up to speed. And so what often ends up getting lost is focusing on the programming and the initiatives that actually benefit the marginalized communities that should be at the heart of it. Mm And it's just this great irony that so much of this work that is supposed to be around supporting and equipping and lifting up these marginalized groups is often focused on the already privileged folks and helping them in their work. So allyship is exceptionally important. I don't want to discredit that by any means, but myself and my peer who were starting this together, we really recognize that there is totally a gap 
And there is work that needs to be done in supporting marginalized communities. We mm -hmm. started with BIPOC in at those earlier stages and understanding how they can even access these professional spaces. Because he and I both went to the University of Alberta together. So again, back to what I mentioned, few in a very big school that there are just so many things that we didn't know about the rigid recruitment process, the importance again of networks and communities and really putting yourself out there and preparing often years in advance to have the right resume. We really wanted to see what we could do about helping current students with really even just the awareness of what's needed to be in these spaces or taking a step back, even knowing that career paths like consulting and technology and being in business even exist. So started the Bold Student Mentorship Program. You're right, cohort three just ended. I love how you talk about it in some abstract way, like you're not going to be leading the program going forward for context everybody. Um, with my exit from Accenture and two of our other co-leads stepping down due to our involvement since day one, we've passed the baton. And so Ife is gonna be one of the co-leads for the fourth iteration of the program. But I'll pause so you can react. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I feel no, like it's better when it comes for someone mm -hmm. be like, oh, by the way, I'm the, you know, that, no, it's okay. Right? Yeah, I was like, she's not going <laughs> to say it. Okay. Um, but no, this program is really a cohort-based program that pairs BIPOC and for iterations one and two, now going forward, Black students with Accenture employees in three-month cohorts where they have one-on-one -on -one meetings with their Accenture mentors. And in addition, they have the opportunity to build community with their current mentees in their cohort, plus the now over 140 students who have completed the program and are now part of our alumni community, and also participate in what we would consider a pretty holistic and comprehensive professional development curriculum, where we're looking at, of course, the professional skills and what's needed there, but also, more often overlooked topics like mental health and well-being and also thinking about financial literacy and wealth building. So like I mentioned, 145 students have gone through the program so far. Um, Accenture is well on its way to really continuing to build this and boost it up as something that is really a marquee program that we offer. And what I really love about it is that, yes, there's of course the recruiting angle where if you've heard of the program, you're probably at least somewhat interested in Accenture, <laughs> but it's really done also in partnership with the corporate citizenship group to recognize, and this is how I always framed it, truly, I do not care if you get a job at Accenture. I just want to make sure that we are creating a space where you are able to achieve whatever your professional aspirations are, whether it's here or elsewhere, we will do everything that we can to support you as you go through the program and beyond. Mm. So... Yeah, that's essentially the SMP. You know, I could talk about it forever, so <laughs> happy me. to just leave it there for now. Though. No, but it, I, I feel like it was smart that you have water because I'm like, um, <laughs> but no, like when I tell you, when you had asked me to assess first, I think was it the second cohort? I was like, yeah, sure, you know, and I literally fell in love and I was like, this is what I want to do. And um, assisting with the third cohort, but like in a much bigger way, I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. Like, I was like, I could do this forever. So I feel like you're, like you talked about impact, you talked about community, you're also instilling these values and characteristics and other people coming into 
um, Accenture. And even like, like you said, if you're part of the Bolsu Mentorship Program, doesn't necessarily mean you have to work at Accenture, but you're just, you're kind of sowing seeds in 145 plus students and many more to come because you've kind of carried a legacy. Like, yes, Gwen Academia is no longer at Accenture, but you've left a legacy. Like, how does that feel to you? I was just like kind of thinking about it. Like, your name would be talked about for years to come. As long as I'm there, your name's going to be talked about for <laughs> years to come. So how does that make you feel? Like, and does that kind of put like pressure on your name? Because your brand is Gwena Kadima. So if I'm like, oh yeah, Gwena Kadima, they'll be like, let me search that up. And then they'll see your website, Gwena Kadima. Like, how does that make you feel? Yeah, so it's, um, I always half the time don't even know how to react because any conversation with you is just so supportive and so complimentary uh, so thank you thanks. but I think so what I recognized in leaving was that truly the part that I felt the most reservations about was recognizing the number of black folks and allies who have called out really what not just the programming but I recognized also just my presence in the organization as a black employee who was confident and very bold in their blackness, but also able to deliver and execute in their day-to-day -day work as a high performer was for the organization and for employees' perceptions of what their careers could be. Mm -hmm. Because I had a lot of people from various levels say things like, I joined Accenture because I knew Bold was there. I joined because I was in the SMP and I just wanted to be in this space and be a part of it. Or similar to you, like when there was a period where for context, I was sort of bullying HR to give me the lists of new joiners so that I could scour through. And this was before there was self-identification data about who was black. And frankly, they wouldn't have given it to me anyway, but literally <laughs> scouring through the list of all of the new hires, just names on a spreadsheet. And because it's Accenture, there were dozens every week to try and find black people so that I could reach out to them and have what sometimes ended up being a little awkward of being like, Hey, I'm black. I see that you are black too. <laughs> Would you like to chat? Welcome to this company. Oh. And people being like, are you an HR? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so yeah, just realizing that the part that I had the most reservations about was really ensuring that the folks who felt safer or felt supported because I was there still had that support and still had that community whether or not I was in the room mm. and so that's also part of why again 2 a.m the night before I'm leaving I'm like I'm gonna reach out to as many black people as I can and they're not allowed to leave and they need to know I'm present all the time and you heard me with the BSMP mentees being that like old weird sister who's like yeah, reach out to me, whatever, we can chat, we'd love to chat, to a bunch of like Gen Zers who are like, who's this woman, get out of my face. But no, it is something that is really important and something that is so critical to me. And I think part of it is because it always felt like a gap when I was growing up and when I was going through school. And when I started to have that sense of community, when we started Bold and finding all the black people who just appeared, when we started to really publicize the group, how that truly impacted my understanding of 
what it meant to have community and what I could achieve professionally because I knew that there was support around me. So yeah, you nailed it. That is another huge thing for me. And literally, like I will say this in every platform, if you are a black person or if you are marginalized in any way and you see some sort of commonality with me or some sort of shared experience, oh my gosh, I will make all the time in the world for you. So yes, it's the biggest thing for me to make sure there is that support. I love that. I went on a tangent. I don't even know if no, I answered no, no. your question, but you were just you hitting did. all of my <laughs> rant buttons. <laughs> you did. And that's, that's, that's kind of my job, like to get you talking. Um, and something, another, because those are some of the unique things I found about you, found, I already knew. And another thing I just want to point out, and I don't know if you want to touch on it a little bit, but you were the recipient of, and I wrote it down just so I wouldn't mess it up. I think you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> of the Global and Mail Report on Business Magazine's 2022 Changemakers Award. So they basically highlighted 50 emerging Canadian entrepreneurs, consultants, academics, executives changing business today. And you were awarded as one of them. Like how like, like how did you wrap your mind about like did they reach out to you? Like did they say, yo, you know, this is your award now. Like how did that how did that come to be? So this really came at a time where I realized that I had no concept of the impact I was having. Mm. And so the things that I'm saying now about like creating legacy and supporting black talent and name that I've been able to build for myself, I've learned how to communicate all of that and sort of get past those thoughts that make me feel like it's inappropriate to say those things only in the last year or so. And timeline wise, that was really sort of around the time that this time last year, the application had been submitted. And so in terms of wrapping my head around it, the, uh, I think most, there were two really impactful moments. One was when I got an email from Accenture's um, marketing team to say, hey, somebody nominated you for this award. They think your qualifications and the things that you do are super impactful. Like, can we chat about how to flesh out sort of your application and share your story? And so that first moment of somebody nominating me and saying of the, again, I guess in Canada, I think it's five-ish thousand employees. I don't know, that may be way off, but it's in the thousands for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Employees at Accenture within an organization that at the time had 11 employee resource groups and folks like me who were making change for their communities and really involved in so many different topics that have impact on, as change makers say, business today. um, I was just shocked. I was like, don't you want like a managing director or like a senior manager or literally anybody more experienced than me? Like I had just gotten promoted to consultant at that time. And so I think that sort of hierarchy was in my head, but also really having no concept of the impact and that people were actually seeing these things beyond just the folks that were directly participating in these programs. And the other component of it too was the day that the award went live. Because up until that day, you don't know who else is on this list. And so I opened it up and of course, literally the like head, I think the head of Moderna was on that list. And like there were CEOs of huge organizations and these entrepreneurs who are like 
bringing clean water to indigenous rural communities and like doing all these really big, amazing things, like sending people to space and stuff like that. And I just remember looking at this list, which appropriately so, I was like deep in the list. She was not the cover girl. I thought it was a-okay. I was like, oh, it's starting to click mm. of being able to see beyond the things that were just visible to me in terms of how the work I was doing was really recognized and sort of understood relatively and really being able to see that. I think that award was of course amazing in and of itself, but it also gave me a really good reality check of what a, this is kind of a big deal. And hey, like you're doing pretty okay, kid. Mm. So yeah, it was really important. Amazing. I was just writing some stuff down. Basically, I'm I created the space so other people can learn, but I'm also taking notes from our conversations too. So thanks for that. But I know I think like before we started this, when I was like, oh, if how long would this? Take? I was like, oh, 30, 40 ish minutes, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's almost been an hour. So I'm gonna wrap it up. <laughs> but yeah, I we've heard about your journey um, at a Fortune 500 company, aka Accenture. Um, being a DEI consultant, starting your own business, like fleshing that out and more or less creating a legacy with everything that we've heard today, Gwena, I think you're self-made. Do you? When I saw this question, I'm like, mm, all of my collectivist <laughs> community aspects of myself are like, no, it's the support of others, and it's the like, and that's fine that you built around you. <laughs> you but you... so to answer your question mm -hmm. in a deeply uncomfortable way, yes, I am self-made. Imposter thoughts here is happening again live for you. But no, I truly do, and I think a big part of it again is the mentorship and the support and the folks that even from very early stages of my professional career mm. committed the time to me and gave me the space to really explore and push myself and have that uncomfortable but necessary growth and also set me straight in the moments where I was just acting out and had no concept of how to do this work and I had a period where I was super reckless professionally and that could be another episode in and of itself but as I was really learning how to do this space in a or do this work in a corporate environment mm -hmm. I had those really great folks around me who were candid and still had that love and support for me as I was figuring it out to really give me the opportunity just to try like I think about this all the time in terms of if I talk to my peers about the fact that Accenture just let us run with doing a externally facing highly public um, mentorship program with all of their post-secondary partners and sharing this on our social media platforms and really just rolling with this as then a bunch of analysts who really just wanted to have an impact. The fact that they let us do that and they were just like, yeah, sure, put our <laughs> reputation on the line, whatever. But the trust that they had in us and the support that they gave and how it snowballed after that to, you know, know how much support this program has is 
really just so remarkable. So I will say self-made with the caveat of the many remarkable people and institutions that gave me the space to figure it out. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. And one last thing, I know we're, I was going to say almost at time, that's the consultant in me trying to say that. Um, do you have any advice for someone listening, someone that maybe was somewhat in the same position as you were maybe a year ago um, before you started or yeah, about two years ago before you started um, Gwana Kadima um, as a business? <laughs> Did you have any advice for them as to how they should kind of take that leap? Um, or maybe someone that is in a similar space, maybe not necessarily parallel to your story, but almost identical. Uh, did you have any advice for them? Yeah, so I think one of the things that really allowed me to make the transition to entrepreneurship was recognizing that I needed to make some changes and add to my network around me. Because as I was sort of forming this idea, I recognized that because I moved to Toronto and then a couple of months later um, started at Accenture, a lot of my network was folks that were at Accenture that were working as employees for an organization and not as entrepreneurs. And so whenever I would sort of test the waters on this concept, I would either get a I don't know how I feel about that. Like that might, are you sure, Gwena? Mm. Or a lot of sort of considerations from the perspective of somebody who's outside of the space of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that was really important to me and that I would encourage for anybody who's making a transition professionally to really build that community of folks who are already in the space that you want to be in. Because the perspective and the support that I got from folks who are already entrepreneurs versus from folks who are employees was for the most part quite different. I of course had people that were already in my life who were like, this is amazing. How can I support you? How can we do this? Like I'm here for you, you can do it. But the conversation with, cause there's a lot of us out there and it's pretty awesome, sort of early and mid career marginalized entrepreneurs made it seem like anything was possible and made everything so clear and gave me so many tactical and both inspiring big picture supports to be able to do this work. So yeah, the folks that you support surround yourself with is so much more important than I think I realized until I was making that big jump. So be very mindful of the individuals that you have in your corner and recognize that even if the relationship isn't immediately showing its value that what goes around comes around and the folks that you meet maybe a couple of years ago might end up being the biggest parts of your network a couple of years from now mm, i love that what goes around comes around um with that being said that is the end of the episode um and where can they find you Gwena kadima Yes. Uh, I love that this has become a full moon thing. Um, <laughs> That's your brand. But no, you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so 
on my site, GwenaKadima.com as well. I am on all of the socials, thankfully to mom, have a very unique name. So you can literally just search GwenaKadima, you'll find me everywhere. Um, but the area where I'm most active is on LinkedIn. So please connect with me, give me a follow. It may take me a little while to get back to you. So please, whenever you add somebody on LinkedIn, just add in the message. When it says, would you like to add a note to your connection request? please say, hey, Gwenna, I heard you on Self-Made with Ife, and I would love to chat with you more. That will help me so much. But no, just look for Gwenna Kadima. You'll find me. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for stopping by virtually. Um, I really appreciate you taking 58 minutes of your time today. <laughs> and yeah, I hope you have a good one. Bye. Thank you.